Hello, and welcome to the Anthems Podcast. I'm Patrick, and I'm here to tell you the story of a song that helps to tell the story of a nation. Today, we take a trip from our last country that the travel agency swears is under 23 hours and will cost you about 835 American dollars. What disappoints me the most about that is six and a half of those hours, assuming there are no further delays, are waiting around in India and Indonesian airports, which seems like a rough way to spend in two places that have far more to offer than being shuffled around through their equivalent of the TSA. But we will hear more about them on a later show. This show is brought to you by me, and me being curious and having a map that I put a pin in each time I cover a country, and I like symmetry and proportional things. So I wanted a pin down in that area of the world. So I picked Papua New Guinea because I thought it was weird that New Zealand was only half an island. And then I read the names of the countries and thought, well, that was dumb of me. So me not knowing the globe near Australia leads me to tell you about Oh, Arise, All You Sons. And it will lead me to tell you about other anthems, too, because remembering all that geography is pretty tough. Honestly, I thought that New Guinea was the name and that it was an island not in the South Pacific Ocean, but somewhere vaguely off the coast of South America. Somewhere in my head, I was pretty sure that they had something to do with Peru. But there is no great historical connection between those two countries that I've uncovered in the course of the reading for this episode, probably because Peru and Papua New Guinea are 15,355 kilometers or 9,541 miles apart. Super not close together. For scale, we'll go with that distance being 40% of the circumference of the planet. Unrelated, right? Or at least it seems that way. But tenuous connections and places that are far away from our country of interest are a little bit of a theme here. So I'm going to go ahead and play the song, and that way we can hear a story that sets the stage in an obtuse sort of way. Enjoy the next nearly 1 minute and 20 seconds. Rise, all you sons of this land Let us sing about joy to be free Praising God and rejoicing to be Papua New Guinea Shout our names from the mountains to see Papua First impression was that I'm glad I went with the performed at the stadium version because that was done with feeling. It's a great way to hear an anthem if you've got someone that sings the thing well and I enjoyed this performance a lot. 
It was done at a football game, what many Americans will call soccer, and since I know essentially nothing about the sport, I did some reading about the team in Papua New Guinea. They've been around since 1963, and again, as a guy that knows essentially no sports stuff, they seem like not amazing at the game. Better than me, or an amateur team for sure, but statistically not awesome. As usual though, if I am wrong, please correct me. We know how much it costs to get there from Kazakhstan, but where exactly in the world are their home games played? Papua New Guinea, which I will sometimes refer to as PNG, has the almost beige distinction of being the 54th largest country in the world, but it is the third largest island country, so that's pretty cool. It's an easy place to find on a map if you know where Australia is. On the eastern part of the north coast of the continent, it's got that bit that juts up and kind of looks like it's pointing at an island. The eastern half of that island and the two closest smaller islands, plus possibly some others, and honestly archipelagos have confused me, those islands are Papua New Guinea. The western half of the largest island is the easternmost part of Indonesia, and we'll hear more about that place some other day. For now, all we need to know about their neighbor is that the current border was negotiated by Australia in 1974. This part of the world has taught me my new geographic term for the episode, the biogeographic zone. In this case, it's specifically the Australasian realm. This is a description that is based on what kinds of plants grow in the zone that don't grow in other zones. In the Australasian realm, the distinct commonality is something called Antarctic flora. It's a distinct community of vascular plants that evolved on the supercontinent of Gondwana. And I have to stop there because I just learned about this, and it has absolutely epic tangent potential for me, especially because other supercontinents are a thing I have barely ever thought about. Just like finding out that the country has tropical rainforests in the highlands, that it's situated on the Pacific Ring of Fire, it has active volcanoes, and that earthquakes are common, there is so much potential reading about that place, or even just looking at pictures, because it's another really stunning country. Papua New Guinea got its name in two parts. In 1526 and 1527, Portuguese explorer Jorge de Menezes, pronunciation might be off there, he accidentally found the main island and called it Papua, after a Malay word for the kind of hair Melanesian people have. Then in 1545, the Spaniard Inigo Ortez de Retez added the New Guinea part because he thought the people there sort of looked like the people on the Guinea coast. De Retez is a guy that disappointed me a little bit. Not because of what I learned about him, as is usually the case with historical guys, but this time because of what I didn't learn about him. He has a really cool explorer name, and he only explored the one place and then just went home. There's nothing else noteworthy about the guy, and oh well. Despite having known about the country for a while, the West didn't really know a lot about Papua New Guinea until the 1870s when Ukrainian anthropologist Nikolai Mikluko Maklai spent some time actually living among the people there and not just sort of checking out the shoreline from a boat. 
He was an early advocate for equal rights for all humans, rights for native peoples, and he wrote a treatise on the indigenous people of PNG that is on my list of books to read. It's a long list. You should definitely check out reference number nine in the show notes because he was a very distinctive looking individual. Then in 1883, the island's avoidance of Western interference came to an end when Queensland, which is a British colony in the northeast of Australia, unilaterally annexed the southeastern part of New Guinea. The Crown didn't officially sanction this action, but empires are going to empire, and when the Germans settled in the northern part of the island, that prompted the British to establish a protectorate in 1884. That gave them a, well, we're here anyway attitude, and they annexed the southern part of the island outright in 1888. In 1902, formal administration was handed over to the Commonwealth of Australia. And it was not a profitable place, so initially it was left mostly to itself. Germany took a different approach, and in the north they went directly to treating the settlement fairly explicitly as a business venture. The only solace I take from the cacao and copra plantations that they had there is that they employed people and did not outright and technically enslave them. But then in 1914, World War I broke out, and the Australians seized the German part of New Guinea. And after the war, they gave the acquired plantations to their war veterans, and these, in concert with newly discovered gold mines in the highlands, began to generate a degree of prosperity. Then the League of Nations decided that the Commonwealth should have New Guinea all to itself in 1921. It was not a better situation for the indigenous people of PNG, and until the Japanese invaded and broke the colonial order apart in the tail end of World War II, but that's way ahead of me in the timeline right now, because at this point, the man responsible for the anthem was still a toddler and on the other side of the world. Mr. Thomas Shacklity, the boy that would write Oh Arise All You Sons, was born in 1917. And the story of Arise All You Sons is really the story of Thomas Shacklity. Oh, other than being born in Gateshead County, Durham, in England, there is basically no information on this guy until 1935 when he enlisted in the Royal Marines. Immediately, after joining up, he spent two years studying at the Royal Marines School of Music. Tom had a fortuitous combination of an excellent work ethic, natural talent, and a love for what he was doing. This helped him become a competent writer and composer, as well as a player of the flugelhorn, the trumpet, the trombone, the French horn, a general percussionist, and an accomplished violinist. However, you caught the year that he enlisted, right? Four years after deciding to fight for Her Majesty's Navy, Mr. Shacklady became a decorated war hero in World War II, serving with distinction on multiple ships and surviving burns from a torpedo strike on the HMS Cleopatra. Then, he again, he made it through alive when a German U-boat sank the HMS Penelope and ultimately made it through to the end of the war. However... Like many of the other men returning from the war, Tom had a tough time finding his footing and finding work. He ended up mostly kind of odd-jobbing it around, but he never stopped the music, and he organized private dance bands and played the trombone in the BBC's Scottish Orchestra. Then, in 1951, 
he saw an ad for the Australian army and moved his family, which I was able to learn nothing about other than that they existed, out to Melbourne on a 30 to 40 long day ship ride, which sounds not fun to me. Over the next six years, Shackleton trained three bands a year. He was promoted to the rank of sergeant and awarded the British Empire Medal for his service. Then, on one fateful day when Tom achieved the rank of warrant, which is something like the highest rank of non-commissioned officer in the Royal Navy, but honestly, I'm not real sure, he was transferred to Papua New Guinea, specifically Port Moresby, which is the capital. A couple of years later, he was transferred back to Australia to, among other things, perform, in his words, his least favorite task of managing a swimming pool on the base. But he fell in love with the island, and he kept PNG in his mind. In 1964, when he was discharged from the Australian Army, he returned to Papua New Guinea and got himself hired and commissioned as the inspector bandmaster for the constabulary there. Under Shacklett's direction, the PNG police band became a world-touring group and gained some considerable recognition. Things were coasting along pretty well for Tom but he had yet to complete his most popular song. Shacklity then spent a year doing regular police stuff instead of being a band leader, but in 1971, he was back at the helm again. That same year, the government in PNG, as part of the inevitable march to independence that I've kind of been ignoring yet in the story, he they passed the National Identity Act of 1971, it opens with the statement, being an act to foster and encourage the growth of a feeling of national identity and unity in Papua New Guinea by providing for, and then it gives us an itemized list that includes a national flag, an emblem, a pledge, and an anthem, along with a whole bunch of other stuff that is not so relevant to the story, but is still important to Papua New Guinea. Most of the bill got sorted out in fairly short order, but the anthem was a bit different. There was a national competition. We know about those, for sure. Uh, they got narrowed down to four finalists. They were played on a national radio. And we know what happened just a week before Papua New Guinea's Independence Day of September 10th, 1975. They picked, Oh, Arise All You Sons. So, we've got the anthem. However, I think we need to know what got the people of PNG to the point and then compelled them to be granted independence shortly thereafter. What really starts with the Australians not ever becoming comfortable with being a colonial power. Up until around 1965, I would wager that the average Aussie had no idea that they were a colonial power. And it came to a bit of a head in 1969 when a politician named Gao Whitlam, who was at the time the leader of the Labour Party, flew over to PNG and pledged himself to the independence of the country and the end of Australian colonialism. He went so far as to propose 1972 as year one of independence. Whitlam managed to become the prime minister in 1972 on this issue as part of a raft of progressive legislation. By the end of the next year, PNG had been granted self-governing status, culminating, as we know, in full independence soon after, in September of 1975. 
Despite what the Constitutional Convention and the Australian government thought was going to happen, PNG opted to remain a member of the Commonwealth and retain a monarch. What I can find says that they kind of dug the gravitas of having a royal at the head of the nation. They have sort of a strange arrangement for a Commonwealth nation, one that is shared only with the Solomon Islands, wherein the Governor-General is appointed by the head of state. What exactly the Governor-General does after they are appointed, you'll have to read about on your own. It's far too not relevant a topic for me to wander off on. With independence, Tom was promoted to chief inspector and bandmaster, and he transferred the band to some new digs. In 1977, he was invested as a member of the British Empire and received several awards before getting promoted again the next year. Then in 1979, he bought some raffle tickets and he won a fully furnished luxury home. Has nothing to do with the story, and I just thought it was a heck of a thing to win. Because, yeah, who knows? Win a house. It's wild. Then he took his final promotion and retired in 1982. After Tom's wife of 48 years passed, he sold their home and retired in full to Brisbane, where he passed at the age of 88, after living a rather full life, I think. We'll move on to the song itself in a few, but first there is a small loose end, because there was some kind of an oversight. Possibly due to the last-minute choice of the anthem, but that's just speculation on my part. That oversight led to the anthem not really being made into the official anthem until the year 2000, when specific amendments were made to make it official. Apparently, as of 2018, there is yet to be an incorporation of the words and music via something called a schedule into the law. As somebody that knows no lawyer stuff, I will need someone to explain to me, because I don't know anything about PNG law. But... The government there says that the schedules are not meant to cover literally everything, and then not having the anthem in them does not remove the significance of the song. Interesting stuff for me. Let's talk about the song itself. Musically, I'm kind of struggling to be excited here, if I'm being honest. The song is written as a hymn, but it plays sort of like a sloggy march in just about every interpretation of it I can find. I honestly almost just went with the a cappella version. Uh, it, that's in reference number 16 in the show notes. Let's get the feeling of the vocal part, what you heard earlier. But the official as-written music is tougher to pick out for people that never got the hang of ear training, like me. So the version with the music wins, and I'm pretty sure that it's in the key of F major. But let me know if you know for sure. Lyrically, I have a bit more to say. That will probably be the case more often than not. Tom was writing a real specific song for a specific contest. But we need to keep in mind that even though he was a white guy from Britain in his 50s when he wrote Oh, Arise All You Sons, he really did love Papua New Guinea. He brought a great deal of pride to his musical efforts for his adopted nation. I'll be reading this anthem as written because it was written in English. The song is composed as verse-chorus, verse-chorus. There is a variation in the two choruses. On to the first verse. O oh, arise, all you sons of this land, let us sing of our joy to be free, praising God and rejoicing to be, Papua New Guinea. Tom starts us off with exactly what you'd expect to hear from an anthem, making it not such a surprise that his song is the one that was chosen. 
an immediate call to the people to rise and sing because they are free. Technically, yes, I know they have a king, but it's a pretty democratic experience overall there, akin to what the people experience in the rest of the Commonwealth. The verse celebrates the independence of the nation, along with the unity and pride of the people that live there. Again, we are learning about the anthem of a very religious nation, so it's not a surprise that God is praised. They're mostly different kinds of Christian, with traditional religions and animism practiced kind of under the radar or even right alongside. The remaining 4% of the population is divided among various other faiths. On to the first of the choruses. Shout our name from the mountains and seas, Papua New Guinea. Let us raise our voices and proclaim Papua New Guinea. In the first refrain, we get an exultation to shout the country's name from the mountains and seas, and a repeat of the call to proclaim the name of the nation. Collective proclamations are an effective way to encourage national pride by symbolizing a widespread and united expression of national identity. Not that anyone will hear you from up on the mountains, though. Not at least without a crazy loud megaphone, because PNG has seriously impressive mountains. The New Guinea Highlands cut right across the entire island and support many small agricultural communities in the elevated valleys that they make. They're cool mountains, and in case I forget to mention it when we get to Indonesia, the highest peak in Oceania is there and in this range. It's called the Pungkak Jaya, rising 16,024 feet or 4,284 meters, which is like a little over three miles about. It's big. It's a very anthem-appropriate refrain, and it goes to show that in Tom, we've got another songwriter that knows exactly who his audience is. On to verse 2. Now give thanks to the Lord above for his kindness, his wisdom, and love, for this land of our fathers so free, Papua New Guinea. I did say that they were a very religious country. They even have compulsory Christian education in the public school system. It's possible that we can infer from his writing that Tom knew this and was also probably fairly religious himself. So the anthem being effusive in its gratitude to the higher power for blessings of kindness, wisdom, and love completely tracks. There will be more religious anthems. This song does imply some connection to the nation's history and heritage, by acknowledging freedom uh, and their ancestors. Further, I wonder if this might be the anthem that says the name of the country the most times in the lyrics. Someday I will get statistics on that compiled, but for now, we'll move on to the second and final refrain of this kind of a short anthem. Shout again for the world to hear, Papua New Guinea. We're independent and we're free, Papua New Guinea. Here... Again, the people shout, but this time, the entire world will hear them proclaim their independence. There were no specific events held outside of Papua New Guinea to celebrate the independence, but there was a general international recognition by the UN, other international organizations, and by most other countries. Independence brought with it the establishment of diplomatic missions to various other places to establish formal relations. The main event was at the capital, Moresby, where there was a transfer of flags and the first prime minister, a Michael Somer, gave a speech. I think this and the other refrain are a well-focused verse and make for pretty good anthem writing on Tom's part. 
even if this one is not on my playlist. Overall, I find that Arise All You Sons is a carefully written and musically concise anthem that reflects themes of national pride, unity, freedom, and gratitude. Exactly what you would expect for a song that seeks to make a nation proud. By inciting references to the religious nature of the people and their ancestors, the song contributes to Papua New Guinea's cultural identity. Tom managed to achieve the anthem goal of writing a song that seeks to serve as a powerful expression of the nation's values and aspirations. It was sort of a different kind of a story from what I've talked about before, but you know what? They're all kind of different, and I think that's kind of cool. And kind of all we've got left is to talk about the credits. The writing, recording, and production for the show are done by me, and I wrote and played the theme music. The music was used with my permission. Unless otherwise noted, the anthems I use are public domain or other equivalently free-to-play license. My sources are contained in the show notes, and again, there isn't anything not already mentioned other than please take a look at this country, because it's another absolutely stunning-looking place. The most direct way to get to the show notes is at anthemspodcast.com. You can find me on Facebook and WhatsApp as the Anthems Podcast. For now, I try to get the episode shared onto whatever platform I can with the hashtag AnthemsPod. This is mostly because I have no desire, ability, or time to join all the networks of socials. You can email me corrections, comments, Suggestions, ideas, instructions on how to do awesome things, and ask me questions at anthempod.com. For better or for worse, you can leave me a voicemail at plus one two zero three seven five nine eight three seven five. Or better still, leave me a review wherever you can so that I can find out what you think. Give me a rating, perhaps a good one even, because those super matter. Do this on your podcast collection app. You can even just recommend this show to another actual human being using your mouth to make noise and speak at them. But whatever you do, thank you so much for listening, and I do hope that you enjoyed the show. Happy New Year, and I hope you'll hear me again in 2024.